Well, Happy New Year to all of you. I hope and pray that uh, here's the first Sunday of the new year. And uh, my prayer is that as we come together as a people and see God's Word, that our hearts and lives will come back to the Lord today. Now, the theme for our month of January here at LPC is simply this, returning back to God and returning back to one another. Returning back to God and returning back to one another. And so this morning we're going to look at the whole aspect of what does it mean to turn back to God as we come and prepare ourselves to come to the Lord's table this morning. So this morning I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 29. This is one of the interesting and powerful chapters in the historical books of the Old Testament that show us the example of King Hezekiah. Second Chronicles 29, we'll begin reading at verse 1. This is a powerful passage of Scripture that has very pertinent application to our lives today. So in honor of the Word of God, would you please stand? And let's... Look at the first 11 verses. Now, this text will serve as our launching point, so keep your Bible open to this chapter for the duration of our study this morning before we come to the Lord's table. Verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 29, this is the Word of God. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, "'Hear me, Levites.'" Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from, this, from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of horror, of astonishment, and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not now be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to be his ministers, and make offerings to him. We'll stop there for this moment, but we will continue looking through this chapter, so keep your Bibles open. Let's ask the Lord to teach us these truths this morning from his word. So often, Lord, our lives are like those dry bones in Ezekiel, pictured by the prophet, dead, lifeless, 
needing revival, needing restoration. And so at the beginning of a new year, we come as your people asking for you to revive our hearts again. And we see in this example of Hezekiah the path that he took in leadership to lead your people back so that the, the refreshing waters of the Holy Spirit's revival came upon them. Oh God, as we look around our world today, our, our world is in grave trouble. Our nation is in deep trouble. Our community is in desperate need. We, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ all over this country, desperately need revival. And my prayer is that we will look and see this morning from 2 Chronicles 29, the path that Hezekiah took in leading your people to experience the renewal and the grace that you wanted to give them. So to that end, Lord, fill our hearts this morning with your spirit. Quicken our minds and help us to see the the wonders and the incredible realities of this text and lead us in our own individual and corporate expression of repentance and renewal for your honor and namesake. And yes, O oh Lord, the one who speaks now is not worthy to do this. He is a sinner as well, and yet you've called him to do this. And so we ask for the forgiveness of his sins because in this time we want to see and understand in a deeper way the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ as it is seen in bringing about a national revival as recorded here in the book of Second Chronicles. So guide us and lead us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In Second Chronicles 29 to 32, and it's parallel in the kings, we have one of the longer depictions in the historical books of the Old Testament of King Hezekiah's reign. And what makes this so interesting is that next to, only, only second to David and Solomon, there are more chapters in this, in the scriptures given to Hezekiah. Only David and Solomon have more that are found in all of the kings of Israel, and that is for a reason. It is because in Hezekiah's time, when he became the king, he looked and saw around. He had seen throughout his life the abysmal reign of his own father, Ahaz. He had seen the abominations of idolatry that were in there. And perhaps it was from witnessing and seeing the moral decline of the day, watching evil become rampant all over his time, watching the nation of Judah and Jerusalem suffer defeat after defeat after defeat and go into captivity over and over and over again to the nations that were surrounding it. And not only that, probably it was because the way he felt, not only what he witnessed, but how he felt 
in seeing this decline take place, both morally, spiritually, economically, politically. Many commentators believe that Hezekiah, when he was named a king, that he was vowed and determined not to follow in the paths of his father. And so from his leadership, he began the progress and the, and the process also of putting into place the path toward a national revival. And what I would like to do this morning briefly as we prepare to come to the table with the theme again being returning to God today and in this month, returning to God and returning to one another, that we examine the path of leadership that Hezekiah took with the leaders of the religious community in Judah and as well with the nations. And I've given you some extensive notes, so I'm not going to follow word for word with you. I'm simply going to give you a summary of many of these things that Hezekiah did. And we will touch upon a few verses of Scripture to back this up because this is the kind of study that needs to be done personally, individually, first, also in small groups, discussion with one another, because there is never, ever a greater time and a greater need that we have in our world today for revival than now. I'll take an amen on that. We are in desperate, desperate times. And I'm sure if you read some of the great preachers through the centuries, Augustine in the fifth century said, we are in perilous times. John Calvin and Martin Luther during the Reformation said, said in their writings, we are in perilous times. John Wesley, George Whitfield in the Great Awakening in the 1740s, you read some of their sermons and they say, we are living in such great sin and evil and moral filth. It's no different in any age. In our day and age, it's the same. The only way, mark my words, the only way we will see true revival come to our country the United States, is when that revival first starts in the church. How do we know that? Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 makes that very, very clear. If you know it, say it with me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, God says, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. And then most importantly, here's the effect of it. And what? Heal their land. It starts with the church, not the other way around. I like what Pastor Jim Cimbala says in the, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church when he, he says, we, we talk so much about having prayer in schools and not having prayer in schools. <laughs> he makes the comment, he says, I'd like for us to have prayer in the church. 
There are many churches that don't even have prayer anymore, despite the fact that Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. There is a desperate need for revival in our world today. There is a desperate need for revival in the church. There is a desperate need of revival in my life. There's a desperate need of revival in your life. I can say that with confidence today. Because when we look around and we look out in the world today and we see the state and condition of our world the way it is, we are falling apart. And I'm of the personal belief and conviction that the reason why this culture and this world is falling apart is because the church has not done what the church is supposed to do. And that is to be the salt and light that goes into the world. And why haven't we been the salt and light? Because we have not personally ourselves experienced the boomerang effect, the revival, the turning back toward God that we need to have. So with your Bible open here to 2 Chronicles 29, let me just survey with you the path that Hezekiah took and see what happens. First, it began with conviction. As you see here in this text at at verse 9, the recognition that the state of calamity and captivity is due to your own sin and idolatry. Hezekiah names his father. But he also in verse 9 specifically says here in this text, he says, for behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword. But notice he also says this, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Well, why are they in captivity? Not only because of the sins of the fathers, but most likely they are continuing to do it, continuing to follow the practices of their fathers. And Hezekiah drew a line in the sand in conviction, and he says, not anymore. We are turning around, and we are going back to God because their bondage to sin led them to captivity over and over and over again, as he says or as it's stated back in chapter 28. That led Hezekiah in verse 10 to make a covenant with God. He says, I have it in my heart. Now, obviously, God had been working on him through probably through the years so that when he, it was his turn to lead, it was in his heart. God worked in him first so that he would turn the nation around and enabled him to see the plight of his nation and the need for reform. It was at that point then, thirdly, that Hezekiah called together the religious leaders, the priests and the Levites, and told them, as you see in verse 4, he brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square of the east, and he said to him, "'Hear me, Levites,' Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. That filth was not only neglect where dust and cobwebs had accumulated upon the house of God because the doors were shut, but also because in Ahaz's time, all the abominations, only God knows how much filth and garbage from all the idolatry was in there. And so what does Hezekiah do? He first calls the religious leaders to come together. Oh, I get, I'm, I'm pointing the finger at myself this morning. I'm a religious leader. Revival must start in the church. 
And revival must start in the church with the religious leaders. They must consecrate themselves. They must repent in sackcloth and ashes. And so I'm calling upon the elders, the deacons, the staff, the lay leaders of this church, join me in following Hezekiah's example. We are leaders. We are called to consecrate ourselves. How can we expect, how can we ever expect revival and renewal to come to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to our denomination, to this church, if the religious leaders in the church will not consecrate themselves? That's what Hezekiah did. Hezekiah called the leaders, the religious leaders together, and he says, consecrate yourselves. It took the priests a little bit more time to do it than the Levites. The Levites were ready to go in consecrating themselves. That leads to the fourth and fifth steps along this path. And you can actually, you can actually bracket them together because they are interchangeable when you look at this text in verses 5 and 17 they were told then, once you have cleansed and consecrated yourselves, now go into the house of God. Go in, go in and cleanse this house of the filth. Interestingly enough, you'll see here in the text that it took them 16 days to go into the temple and to cleanse it from all of the filth, all of the defilement. 16 days to go into the temple and to cleanse it from all of the filth that was in there. They cleansed that house. That leads me to believe that not only, not only our personal lives must be cleansed, but also all the things that we use in our worship, the utensils, the instruments, all of our things, the, the worship culture of our environment needs to be cleansed in order to experience the refreshing revival that God wants to bring. But not only does it need to be cleansed interchangeably, as you'll see in verse 17 here, it says, Then they began to consecrate on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule. It took them eight days to get to the vestibule. And then for eight days they consecrated the house of the Lord, and on the 16th day, of the first month they finished. It took them 16 days to do this consecration, this cleansing act. So much so that then sixthly, now that the place of worship was cleansed and consecrated, the religious leaders' lives were, were cleansed and were consecrated, they then could offer burnt offerings. And you see here from verses 20 to 30, that they brought in seven of many, several different animals, symbolic. Seven is a symbol of perfection and of completeness and wholeness. They brought those in. And as an act of corporate confession, they presented themselves before God in holy worship. And interestingly enough, you can see here that in verse 23, it talks about the laying on of hands upon the goats which was a sin offering. That's a picture of substitutionary 
sacrifice, and that points directly to Jesus, who would be the fulfillment, our final, permanent, perfect, and complete substitutionary sacrifice. So in this spirit of corporate confession where they are confessing their sins, they are pleading for the blood of the atonement to cover them and to cleanse them from their sins in that corporate act of worship. But it's both an individual as well as a corporate act. And as they began to offer these burnt offerings, these substitutionary sacrifices, and as the music began to play, as the people began to lift their voices, being led in worship by the priests and the Levites and the religious leaders, God heard the cries of his people. So much so that seventh and finally, with the temple, the religious leaders, and their corporate environment now cleansed, and atoned for in worship. Then finally, from verses 31 to 36, there is a celebration that takes place. And what happens here is they go into the, 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 the religious leaders, look at the people and say, God has heard our prayers. He has heard our cries of confession and of repentance. He is in the process of bringing revival. Now go and bring thank offerings to God. Go and voluntarily bring your bulls and your rams and your other thank offerings, your peace offerings, and the fat of those peace offerings. Bring them in. And there were so many thank offerings, so many celebration offerings that were given. The priests were overloaded. They had to bring in additional help from the Levites in order to make that happen. You can see that here in the text. My plea with you today, and believe you me, friends, I would be preaching this sermon. If I was in another church, I would be preaching this sermon today. Because I believe desperately that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, celebrating its, just celebrated its 50th anniversary. I think it is always appropriate, no matter when you do it, it is always appropriate to call the people of God back to God, to call them back to repentance, to brokenness, confession, to call the people to wholly consecrate themselves, asking God for the cleansing of his grace upon their lives, asking God for the filling of the Holy Spirit upon their lives so that we can be truly the salt and light that God has called us to be. I want to ask you, friends, today as you begin a new year, do you sorrow over your own spiritual plight before the Lord? Are there issues of unconfessed sin, issues of resolution that need to be made today? If there is a sense of sorrow and plight in your spirit, that is the 
the, the best start toward revival. Because revival is both individual and it's also corporate as well. And it always leads in action to some form of obedience. The call for us today is to be the people of God, to do in following Hezekiah's example, to come and present ourselves before God, humbly saying, oh God, I'm broken. I need your cleansing renewal in my life. I need the refreshing revival waters that come from the Holy Spirit to cleanse me, to consecrate me, and to make me the kind of person, the kind of church that would have so much of the power and presence and activity of God going on in the midst of her that it becomes a vibrating and pulsating magnet to this world, drawing and attracting those who are broken and hurting like we are to experience that same revival and renewal from God. So today, as we begin a new year, the first Sunday of the new year, and I would be doing this anywhere if I was given the opportunity, I'm calling you, I'm calling me to repentance and to follow the path that Hezekiah took towards seeing in that path God cause his spirit to bring a revival. Do you believe that we need revival in our land today? Do you believe in your own heart, your personal heart? And I'm shaking my head right now. Do you believe you need revival in your life? We see in 2 Chronicles 29 the path toward that. And you know what? There's no greater opportunity than to begin that with confession and coming to the Lord's table and rededicating your life, consecrating your life, asking God to cleanse you, to fill you, and to start the new year off walking in obedience to what he's called you to do. My prayer is that you and I would follow Hezekiah's example as it's found here in 2 Chronicles 29. Let's bow in prayer. <laughs> Lord, today we humble ourselves. As Hezekiah called the people of his day to repentance and to cleansing and consecration. So your word calls us today to do that very thing. My prayer is that we would come today broken, but yet also with a spirit of expectancy, knowing that you hear our prayers, you hear our hearts, and you want us to follow this path that Hezekiah gives us <clears throat> in your word. So please speak to our lives and help us to walk in obedience today. We want to be 
the people of God, the salt and light that you've created us to be. Cleanse us, consecrate us, fill us, renew us so that this world may see a difference and revival come. This we ask in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.